Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. It's been a few weeks since we departed the feast. It's, it's been a month now, I guess, maybe a little more. And in the ensuing six months, many of the world's holidays will take place. Since the feast, we've already been through Halloween. Christmas is on the horizon. New Year's Day is just behind that. Valentine's Day is behind that. And then as we approach the Passover, we also have Easter to contend with. Interestingly enough that during the six months of downtime between the dark period of, of, for God's people, I guess, and the winter months up here, uh, what, between the Feast of Tabernacles and the Passover, we have all of these worldly holidays that we need to get through when our guards may be a little down, when we are uh, not quite as, as, um, as in tune as we are sometimes during the, the, when we're preparing for the Holy Days. A few weeks ago, during our roundtable discussions uh, downstairs, uh, Becca asked a question. And her question led to other questions. Daniel was, and then Daniel was as part of that conversation as well. And it was an intriguing conversation that we all that we all had because the questions were from our growing youth, Becca uh, and Daniel, as they are our um, our older youth, starting to ask questions where they're probing and. It was a conversation that we were all ended up all being part of that were down there. And as we were going through that, it led to a series of questions as to what is acceptable behavior with respect to the holidays of this world. What about gift giving at Christmas? We all know, if we have family that knows we're not part of, uh, that we don't keep Christmas, what's wrong with gift giving? By extension, What's wrong with trick-or-treating? Everybody knows we don't keep Halloween. We're just going out and having some fun with some uh, uh, dressing up. In light of some of our situations where we may have family members who know we don't celebrate, but perhaps they do, and in our discussion that day, we got into a brief history of these holidays that man celebrates, and to the surprise of many who had never heard of some of the history it was a surprise to many that many of these days have their origins in rites and rituals of cultures that extend back thousands of years into other religions and other cultures. So what I would like to do today, this morning, or earlier this afternoon, we covered Christmas in the Bible study. What I would like to do is to take a historical look at many of the world's holidays. It's going to be a little bit more of a of a technical sermon, as, as I had described this in the earlier Bible study as well. But while we are looking at them, we will compare commands from the Bible that address behaviors associated with each of these days. Now, it's not my intention to tell you what you should or should not do. What we do on our own time is between us and our God. It is my intention to provide all of us with as much information and education as possible, so that when we are presented with a situation 
we've got Christmas coming up. When we're presented with a situation, we can make a decision that aligns with our belief system and aligns with our faith in God's way of life. So what we're going to do here in the the time that we have remaining today is we're going to go through the history of some of these holidays. We're going to compare it to what we're going to extract from Scripture some commands that we may associate with some questions we have about these days. Some of you may be familiar with the history of some of these days. Growing up in where I grew up, in the Worldwide Church of God, our, we were taught in quite an extensive amount of detail the history that were behind these days. When we were discussing it in our breakout session downstairs a few weeks back, Many of us have never heard of some of the, the history of these days. So it, it is, uh, there is some, some education is power. Educate, if we're to make a decision, we want to follow our God. We want to make right decisions, which is what the young people were asking. Help us understand what the right decisions are. We can't, get, we can't tell you what decisions to make. What we can do is educate you with enough knowledge so that you can make the right decisions. Where you'll recall, for those of you who are in the Leamington Feast site, uh, Jan, Brother Jan, who gave an excellent sermon to our youth, really spoke about making the right decisions now, educating yourself enough now so that you've made the right decisions. So now when it comes time, when you're presented with a situation, there's actually no decision to make. You've already made the decision earlier in your life to make that commitment. And that's all about educating yourself. So let's jump into this. Again, it, uh, I apologize if it's a, if it's a little dry here. Uh, but we're going to proceed through this as best we can. We're going to talk about Halloween first. A number of weeks ago, uh, we had a detailed sermon from John Plunkett uh, on Halloween. But just by way of reminder, Halloween, and this is stuff you can find uh, with uh, research on the Internet, uh, various resources that talk about the origins of these days, uh, certainly some of the religious encyclopedias uh, who... who endorse these days will actually also provide the historical accounts behind it that show that we shouldn't be keeping these days. But Halloween, is, as we know, is a yearly celebration observed on the 31st of October, and it is, a, it is part of a, 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 a triad of festivals, Hallow's Eve, All Saints Day, and then All Souls Day from October 31st to, to November 2nd. It is dedicated to remembering the dead. So as, as uh, that, that's the religious part of it. It is dedicated to the remembering of the dead, including saints, which are called hallows. That's where the word hallow comes from. It's the old English word for saints. Martyrs and all of the faithful departed believers. On All, on all Hallows Eve, which we know to be Halloween, it is a Christianized feast which was heavily influenced by Celtic festivals. So much like what we talked about earlier in the, the Bible study about Christmas, this religious festival about all, all Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day and All Souls' Day, which are actual religious festivals, were heavily influenced by the Celtic traditions. Today's Halloween customs are also thought to have been influenced by Christian doctrine. Now, Halloween falls on, obviously, we know, Halloween falls on the night before All Souls, All Saints Day. And then All Souls Day actually follows on November 2nd. All Saints Day commemorates all of those who have attained 
the beat, beatific vision in heaven. So those who are who are are have made it into heaven, playing their harps, are now saints in heaven. All Souls Day, All Saints Day honors those, all saints. All Souls Day specifically commemorates the departed faithful who have yet to be purified and have and have yet to reach heaven. So those who, I suppose, are in purgatory. Uh, we're certainly not preaching those doctrines, but it's important to understand where these days come from, that these, these little rituals of trick-or-treating and, and participating in these days actually have a religious connotation and a religious base that is based on doctrines that we have long ago uh, disproved and long ago uh, do not believe in. They have their roots in ancient Roman theology, as many as we've come to understand through, through much of our studies this last year. All of these, these days, these rituals, these doctrines that, that we don't believe all have their, again, continue to have their foundation in, in other religions, in other cultures. And these, this one specific one is specifically linked to a Celtic tradition from a timing perspective. What about trick-or-treating? What about dressing up in costumes? It seems like innocent enough. It's an innocent enough game that's not really associated with evil. Yeah, I understand that, um, that if we look back in history, we can see that all of these things were based in evil, but that's not really what it's about today. It's just dressing up in costumes, having some fun. Is there really anything wrong with that? The practice of trick-or-treating extends back to the mid-16th century practice of mumming or souling. And this practice is when people dressed up in costumes and went door to door begging for soul cakes in exchange for their pra- the prayers for these dead souls whose fates have yet to be decided. We talked about what that All Souls Day was, where it was about folks who, in, in that belief structure, that are, have not yet met, made it to heaven, have not been beatified as, as saints of God, which again, is doctrine that, that we long since do not agree with. But this, this practice of trick-or-treating really has its, its, its origins in this evil practice of, of begging God for mercy for these saints that are in purgatory and exchanging, begging for, for, for these soul cakes. And in exchange, when, we, we take the, when they take these soul cakes from these people that are offered, we will pray for you and all of the, so the souls for you that, that uh, have died that you're praying for so that they may be accepted by God. When we go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, let's go back to Deuteronomy 18. What we want to do again today in light of the Bible study today that we talked about Christmas is really look at and go into the scripture that will help us make some of these decisions when we look at Halloween, when we look at Christmas, when we look at New Year's Day, when we look at Valentine's Day, when we look at Easter. We certainly, from a grand perspective, don't believe Halloween is correct. We certainly have proven Christmas. We've proven these things. But the, the fuzziness comes in, as it did in our conversations, with, but we know these are, these are, we know we don't believe this, but what's wrong with certain some of these traditions? Let's go to Deuteronomy 18 and see what God has to say. Verse 9, Deuteronomy 18. And verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you 
anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So God is pretty clear, and we've covered this in various aspects earlier today, and we'll, we've covered it in pre, the, throughout the year as well. God is pretty clear that his system of worship is one that he has high demands for. He's very specific in how he expects us to worship. And in all of these cases, we saw it earlier today too, God is pointing his people to the fact that when you, you do not become affected by the cultures and the religions around you, when I want you to, to, when I want to set you on a hill, when I want you to make the example of what others should look at to, to know how to worship me, don't become affected by their rituals. You stay true to, our, to my way of life. Don't become affected by their wicked customs. And trick-or-treating, as an example here on Halloween, may look like it's a little bit of fun, but when we break it down and peel away the onion, the layers of onion, get right down to the core, it is a practice that honors, that believes that people have gone to heaven, and we honor those who have gone to heaven, and we pray for those who are stuck in between and have not been, been granted their wings, so to speak. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. What has happened over time is as we've come further and further away from the, the cultures like the Romans and the Greeks and the Mesopotamians and Babylon in the, the older cultures that have affected these days, like we talked earlier today about Saturnalia. And as we've sort of been warmed up to the fact that these, are, these have been synthesized into our current tradition, our current religious traditions, that maybe they're not so bad. But God is pretty clear what he expects of us. Isaiah chapter 8. And when they, verse 19. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and vanquish, and they will be driven into darkness. God, throughout the pages of his scriptures, continued to warn his people to stay true to his way. To not become accustomed, to not become engaged in the customs of these other religions. When we go back to Christmas, we've covered Halloween, let's go to Christmas. We spent a, an entire study here, but I just want to take a look at it. We have some other folks that have joined us. Let's take a look at this topic of Christmas that we covered today. We saw that The birth of Christ clearly could not have happened in the winter. We covered that through the shepherds 
the timing of the shepherds with their flocks in the fields. We also covered the fact that Zechariah, John the Baptist, who was conceived six months before Christ, that Zechariah was on the eighth course of Abijah, which placed him in the late spring at the temple, and that John was probably conceived around this June, which made his birth in March. It's, we can, this is just a review from what we covered this morning. John would have been born around March, which would have had Christ born in the fall. So it, became, it becomes pretty clear from the, the biblical account of the birth of Christ that he absolutely could not have been born in the winter. But when we look back through the, the annals of history and see all of the different cultures that had a December 25th celebration celebrating the rebirth of the sun because of its connection to the winter solstice, we look at these festivals like Saturnalia, honoring foreign gods like the Roman god of Saturn, as they look to worshiping the sun. We saw that Origen, the Greek theologian, amongst all of the false doctrine that he, over the course of his life, and how the Greek philosophy was injected into Christianity, that Origen himself actually argued against the celebration of the Messiah's birth. And it wasn't until the mid-350s that the birth of Christ became officially celebrated on December 25th. And we see similar celebrations all the way back to Egypt, Mesopotamia, even all the way back to Nimrod and Semiramis. But what about stuff like gift-giving? The question was posed, they know we don't celebrate. And we're just family. Why, what's, what's wrong with families exchanging gifts? And again, not here to, we're not here to say what you should or shouldn't do. We're here to educate and provide you with the information so that you can make those decisions. When we look at Jeremiah chapter 10, which we did earlier today, but we're going to look at, at it again. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 10. Remember what God expects of his people. God expects his people to be the city on a hill, to be the light that everyone looks to, that when they find out about the Lord God of Israel, when they find out about the true way to live, they can look at folks like us and say, they were following God. I watched what they did. They were following this God. In Jeremiah chapter 10, obviously this couldn't have been about Christmas because this preceded Christmas by many, many, many years. But we do know that there were similar celebrations throughout history, extending all the way back into the two and 3,000 B.C., but we see here in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2, Do not learn the ways of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the Gentiles are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. God pointedly tells us to avoid the customs of people who are not of the covenant. Avoid customs like this that point to other gods. And not to be afraid of them. Don't be afraid 
to not be like them. They can't harm us. They can't do us any good. But as he continues here, our focus should be on God. Our focus on should be worshiping God, his way, following him, being a light to the world. And as much, verse 6, as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms there is none like you. He continues down, dropping down to verse 10. But the, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. And at his wrath the earth will tremble. And the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Our responsibility is to follow God and is to follow, follow him the way he expects us to. He tells us back in Deuteronomy chapter 12, after telling us there in Jeremiah not to get caught up in the traditions of men. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Again, we covered a little bit of this earlier. That God has given us a system of worship. God has given us the days he expects us to keep the ways that he expects us to worship him. These are statutes and judgments, verse 1 of Deuteronomy 12, which you shall be careful to observe in the land, which the Lord God of our fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the, na- where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods. And on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place, and you shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. We are of the world. God has clearly placed us in the world and told us not to be of the world. But while we are in the world and not of the world, we are not to worship him their way. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. When we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we find a, a verse here that sort of summarizes our God's expectations for us, not just for Christmas, but in light of all of these days, in light of many of the traditions that we may be faced with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. The King James Version says, abstain from every appearance of evil. As we are, when we are to be a light to the world, when we are to be the one who represents God, when we are to be the examples, we are the covenant people, as, as, as we've heard expounded on many times, we are living this way of life, not just for us, not just for to, to obey our God, but so that others can see how God's way should be lived. And as we are doing that, the, the purpose for abstaining from every appearance of evil is to keep God's way first and foremost in our lives. When we participate, for me personally, if I were to participate in gift giving at Christmas, that would look to me like I'm compromising. Now, in our discussions downstairs, and the discussions were, were as good a discussion as we've had in a long time in our, our discussions, what we did talk about, and from the, the various folks who were throwing ideas out, is in relation to perhaps gift-giving, other types of Christmas celebrations, have a family 
gift exchange any other time during the year. Giving gifts is not the sin. Giving gifts is not, is, is not a bad thing. Looking after, the fa- looking after your family and showing love to your family is not a bad thing. When there are mixed members of the covenant and not, and, of, and not the covenant there, participating in perhaps a gift exchange on Christmas gives the connotion that we're compromising, that we're not all in. God expects us to be all in with, into, with his covenant. And part of the making the big decisions now is so that when these opportunities are, are faced with us, we've already made our decision to follow God. What kind of message does it send to other people, to God and to ourselves, when we are willing to compromise God's way of life? Is this a way of life that rewards compromise? Keeping in mind that we are to be the city on a hill at all times. But we covered much of the Christmas earlier today. Let's go to something like New Year's Day. Surely this is a harmless, has no attachment to any foreign worship. The Mesopotamian culture created the concept of a New Year's celebration in 2000 B.C. So this concept of, of New Year's is certainly not new. The Romans dedicated New Year's Day to Janus, their god Janus, who is the god of gates and doors, because it was a two-headed god. One was facing back and one was facing forward, this god Janus. It's what the, the month of January was named after. Some churches, like the Anglicans and the Lutherans, actually celebrate this day as the Feast of the Circumcision of Christ, obviously connecting eight days from the birth of Christ to this New Year's celebration. When we go back to Leviticus 23, we go back to Leviticus 23, as we did earlier today, and we look at the specific timing of the, of the festivals of God. We see the festivals of God cornerstoned around God's calendar. Obviously, the Sabbath on a weekly basis, Passover in the first month, the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Pentecost in the third month, obviously seven weeks following the Sabbath in the middle of the Holy Days. The rest of the Holy Days take place in the seventh month. If this calendar was the centerpiece of God's of God's worship system, we would celebrate the first day of the sacred year. We're not even told to celebrate the first day of God's calendar year. It's, it's an acknowledgement that the new year has started. The calendar is there to guide our celebration of the festival days. The calendar is not to be celebrated. The calendar is a tool that is used to help us, guide us through this worship system, these, these feast days that we are to celebrate. We know back in, we've covered this many times back in the creation account in Genesis where the creation of the seasons, where God created this holy time. He set up the calendar as a tool for us. If the year was to be celebrated, if the, the calendar itself was to be a point of celebration, we would celebrate the new year here in Scripture. God's new year, which we clearly don't. New moons, new months keep us focused on his coming 
festival days. Never are we commanded to celebrate the new biblical year. What we do know, from Philipp- let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And again, our purpose here is to educate on the, the history behind the holidays. So we are presented with, with opportunities to, to participate in their celebrations. You can educate yourself as to what God's expectations are for us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, Join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have for us a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. We need today's calendar to ensure that we live and exist in this world. I have a job. I have a family to support. I have children to feed. If I don't follow the ca- this, this Julian calendar, I won't show up for work. I'll be late. I may get fired. But my citizenship is in heaven. For me personally, January 1st is just a day to sleep in because I get the day off. But what kind of behavior is is exhibited on these days? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. To participate in a new... If you're asking, which we were, what about participating in a New Year's celebration? What kind of behavior is exhibited on those days? How does that line up with Scripture? We, rather than look for a a yes or no from the ministry and, hey, should I participate, simply point you back to Scripture. Point you back to your Bibles. Look at the annals of history and see that this New Year's celebration was to honor, was set up by the Mesopotamians in 2000 B.C. to honor their gods. The Romans created this god of Janus to look forward and backward. Our calendar that we go by is the calendar of God. It's what guides us towards his holy days. It's what keeps our worship system centralized and focused. That we know in 132 days, we've got our Passover coming up. That we know the, next, the, day, after, the day after that, we will be celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We know seven weeks after that, we will be celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. We know months later we will be into the fall festivals. Valentine's Day. Isn't this just an innocent day where we can focus on the love we have for our significant other? Valentine's Day came from a festival called Lupercalia, which was a very ancient pre-Roman pastoral festival celebrated to, to avert evil spirits, to purify their city, to release health and fertility. It was in the heart of the winter. We know about middle of February, we've had just about enough of winter. Everything has been cold and dead for long enough. This was a festival created by the Romans, or before Rome, 
but then exacerbated and perfected by the Romans. Lupercalia, this festival, was celebrated by shepherds. And it also has a connection to the Greek festival Arcadian Lycia. So we've got this Roman festival of Lupercalia. We've got this Greek festival of Arcadian Lycia. We already know from our studies over the, the course of the last nine months what these Roman and Greek cultures have done to God's way of life, to God's doctrines. At this time, it is noted, many of the youths and the magistrates run up and down through the city naked for sport and laughter, striking those that they meet with shaggy thongs. And many of the women of rank also purposefully get in their way and, like children at school, present their hands to be struck, believing that the pregnant will, will thus be helped in delivery and the barren to pregnancy. And then this would lead to other more degrading acts than I could even say up here. But when we see this St. Valentine's Day meant to honor this God of love, we see that what is again has happened is these degrading rituals from these foreign religions that God has told us time and again to stay away from have been synthesized into Christianity to sort of be made nice, to be made a little more palatable. But when we break this down, we see this is just another celebration by some other culture meant to draw people away from the way of God, to draw them into how many times have we, have we read, and we'll cover a couple here, well, God says to stay away from these things because they will draw you after, after foreign women. They will draw you away from this and draw you into a sinful way of life. A little more information on the Romans. February was also sacred to, this, to the goddess of love, women, and marriage. This goddess Juno Februata. On February 14th, in the Roman culture, Small pieces of paper on which the names of teenage girls would be written on each piece of paper were put into a container. Teenage boys would then choose one piece of paper at random. The boy and the girl whose name was drawn would become a couple. They would join in erotic games at feasts and parties celebrated throughout Rome. After the festival, they would remain sexual partners for the rest of the year. And this custom was observed in the Roman Empire for centuries. So what does the church do? The church, not, our, not the church, but the universal church. They say, we're going to take that and we're going to try to clean it up just a little bit and we'll make it in honor of a saint. What does God say to do? God says to stay away from that stuff. But as we look at a day like Valentine's Day, it's important to peel back the, 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 the onion skin and see what's really at the heart of all of this. And it is, again, behavior that God denounces. Turn to, again, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Again, this is another example of taking a pagan ritual celebrated by many ancient cultures and incorporated into the Christian movement. Many, many centuries after the New Testament scriptures. This was officially listed as a Valentine's Day by Pope Galatius in A.D. 496. So long after Christ, long after the apostles who were tasked with documenting the New Testament scriptures had long since passed away and died, the church 
took upon this, took upon their doctrine to incorporate this day into their celebration, when the history of that day was was so decrepit. Deuteronomy chapter 12. We read a little bit of this earlier this morning. We're going to read it again, again, just to get the various aspects from Scripture of God telling us to stay away from these things, to watch what we're doing. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off you from before the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow after to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and you do not inquire after, after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. And whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. When we lose our focus, when we start getting a little bored with God's way of life, what happens is what happens here to happened here to the children of Israel when God's warning them. And we start saying, how do they worship their gods? I'm not quite satisfied. I'm getting a little bored with how we're doing things. I wonder how they do it. How do they worship their gods? Maybe we can worship their gods and incorporate that into how we worship our God. Leviticus chapter 18. This isn't something that God just spoke once. God continued to cover this in various places in his, in his holy writ for his people to continue to focus on. Leviticus 18, verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. Dropping down to verse 24. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these, by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any of the strangers who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God." seems here that God is just a God of no fun. That he's just always looking to just say, no, you can't do this. All God wants is us to worship him his way. To keep in mind that he is our God, that his ways are right. Because we have a history of seeing what happens when we decide to do our things our own way. When we decide to maybe incorporate and to maybe wander about and, and handpick a little bit of our worship thing. I'll go shopping for our worship. I'll go shopping here. I'll take a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of this. God tells us what happens when, that, when we do that. 
But God is certainly not a God of no fun. We'll, get, we'll you know, jump into that a little bit later here. Let's briefly cover Easter. In the Bible study, I mentioned it was connected to Ishtar. That was a, a slip of the tongue. It has actually nothing to do with Ishtar. But it's a Germanic goddess by the name of Oster and a, Nor- a, Norse, go- a Norse goddess by the name of Ost- Otara? Ostara. Ishtar was a Mesopotamian goddess. I slipped, I slipped uh, uh, when I said that earlier today. There's too much here in Easter to really cover because really what's at the heart of it is the quartodeciman debate when it was the keeping of the 14th of Nisan versus uh, uh, lining up with what the, the, the Roman Catholic Church deemed to be the proper keeping of, of Easter. So we're not going to take time to go into that. The, that quartodeciman controversy is way more detailed and, than we have time for here. That can be for another time. But the origin of Easter is linked, to, as I said, to the Germanic and Norse celebrations of the goddess Oster or Ostara. There's very little known about Oster. That is spelled E-O-S-T-R-E. There's very little known about this goddess. But it has been suggested that her lights, as the goddess of the dawn, were carried by rabbits or hares. And she certainly represented spring fertility and love and carnal pleasure that leads to fertility. So she was a goddess of fertility who, as we got into spring, had her lights carried by rabbits or hares, which are certainly known for their fertility. And we can see the, the, impu- the impurity of this celebration. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. We, we talk about purity. We talk about God continuing to warn his people to stay away from other religions, to keep themselves pure in their relationships, to have relationships with people who are of the same covenant. Because what can happen when we don't do that? But it extends over even into Proverbs. It's not just something that is covered in the, in the Torah. It's not just stuff that is covered in the, the prophets. It's covered here in Proverbs. And let's look at verse 20. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you're awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take his fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. And then it continues down. But what the God is saying through Solomon, the writer of the Proverbs, is we can't dabble and not get burned. We can't come outside of the covenant and just see what things are like in Satan's world. Because we'll get burned. There's a way to do things. When we keep, when we keep God's commandments, we keep them close to our heart. When we roam... They will guide us. When we're out on our own, 
and our heart is completely into the covenant, God's way will guide us. When we wake, they will keep us. When we're asleep, they will keep us safe. When we awake, we'll know where our direction we are to go. This is just one of many possible scriptures that talk about God's demand for purity. And when we look at the controversy between Passover and Easter, knowing that the history of, of what Easter is, despite all of the, what the Bible says, when we look and break down the history of some of these days, like Easter, it, it stands to reason that we should, Passover, we, should, we would be keeping Passover, not Easter. Because of the, underlying all of this, are goddesses of fertility. These orgies, these sexual, these sexual festivals like the, the festival of Easter, like Lucalia, like Saturnalia, all of these, these that have been synthesized into the Christian, the quote-unquote Christian religion, all have their basis in these impure festivals. So what can we learn from all of this? It's, it's heavy stuff to realize that these days that have been synthesized into the Christian movement, the, heart, the base of it is really a lot of evil. We've read several scriptures that define God's instructions not to worship him the way others worship. We've read Leviticus 23. We, we look at it time and again. We looked at it twice today. That establishes the pattern of worship that God expects of us. Let's go to Exodus 32. Let's go to Exodus 32 for a second. As we consider these questions about what to do when we're presented with opportunities to participate in the seemingly innocent parts of these celebrations, should we or shouldn't we? And again, our purpose here is to educate. We certainly are free moral agents of the covenant that... have a direct line to God and to, through, your, through your intermediary, Jesus Christ. But as you consider what to do when you have these questions, let's look at this, this story of the golden calf. We've, it's, it's a very famous story. We've covered it many different ways. Verse 1, Exodus 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that, go before us, that shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So the people asked Aaron to make gods for them. Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Not to that God. Not to the golden calf. He said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. They were trying to worship God their way. They weren't trying to worship the golden calf. Their intent, Aaron's intent here was to worship God, the God of Israel. But when they got sidetracked and they, Moses wasn't there to guide them and they were fear, they had just a little fear, they didn't know what was going on. Moses isn't here. They said here, 
find us something to worship because Moses isn't here. We're afraid. We don't know what's going on. They reached outside of, of, of God's boundaries and they reached out to what they were used to, which was the Egyptian religions. And they made this golden calf because that's what they were used to. And they said, you know what? We're not going to celebrate their God. We will celebrate our God, the Lord God of Israel, but we'll do it this way. And God snapped because that is not his way. And we see the anger of Moses and we see the anger of God here. They weren't, again, the focus here is they weren't worshiping the calf. They were actually trying to worship the God of Israel, but it was through a golden calf because that was what they were used to from their, their Egyptian surroundings. We cannot make anything holy simply by saying that it is. Israel tried to make their form of worship for God. In their minds, they were not worshiping other gods. They were worshiping the God of Israel. But God was clear that they were not worshiping him. Exodus 34. Let's go forward just a couple of pages. Does it really matter to God what we do? Does it really matter to him? Exodus 34, verse 10. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all of your people I will do marvels such as has not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are all shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. I'm bringing you into a land, and I'm setting you up as a model nation. And they will have no effect on you. I'm going to drive them all out. You are going to be my covenant people. But don't be ensnared by their practices. You shall destroy their altars, verse 13, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. When we are part of the covenant, God expects complete and total faithfulness. He, we are here in this world. We are not to be of this world. It seems, certainly seems that it does matter to God what we do. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. As we work our way through these festivals over the next four to five months, we don't need to be cantankerous about things. We don't need to be so obedient to God that we sit on our pole, as was described last year, and we are perfect in everything around us. And we just make fun of and we are... And we are we, we are Scrooge, basically, for lack of a better word, to everything around us. But we don't need to participate in these things. 
We can jump ahead of the thing if you have family, if you have friends. Jump ahead of it and plan other things. There's, there's, we, have, we have an opportunity downstairs in our, in our discussion period where we can tap into the experiences and resources of all of our, of all of our covenant family here. What was at the end of this amazing conversation that we were all part of, or most of us were part of, the comment that was made, and it, I, I asked, uh, begged Becca's permission to share this, but we, we were all there. She said, I didn't choose to be part. I didn't choose this. I didn't ask for this. You know what? None of us did. We were called. God called us to be part of the covenant. It's not easy being different. It's not easy. It's not easy when the entire world around us celebrates something that makes no sense to us. But when Jan brought out in his sermon at the feast, part of making the big decisions when there's nothing around is so that when we have an opportunity, when we have something presented to us, we make those decisions. We're not here to tell you what decisions to make. We're here to educate you to read your scriptures and not to compromise. We're in Revelation chapter 2 to look at the, the church called Pergamos. Verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamos, these things, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So he's, these are the good things about the, the folks in Pergamos. But I have a few things against you because, you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. The issue with the church of Pergamos was they compromised. There was a lot of good things about them, but when it came down to some of the nitty-gritty details, they felt it was okay to compromise. With God, it's not okay to compromise. It matters to God what we do. The holidays that this world celebrates while seemingly harmless and perhaps just a little misguided, really have their roots in very deep and evil practices and the religions of other gods and other cultures. There is so much more we can learn from just a little research into the histories of these celebrations. We certainly did not have time to go into as many details as, as there are to find in the history of these celebrations. What harm can it do to participate just a little bit? Well, that's up to you. God's standards have been set and made clear from the very beginning. The important thing is to study God's word, to know what he expects of us, and make the determination of what is right now before being presented with that opportunity. And again, I point back to that uh, youth sermon that, that Jan gave at the feast and his admonition to the youth to make the big decisions now to follow God. Because when the time comes, your tough decision will have already been made. And that tough decision is to follow God, no matter what. Let's finish up in Deuteronomy 30, where we heard the scripture reading. 
as we finished that session a number of weeks ago in the in downstairs, I promised that what we would do is have a look at some of these days. Let's look at the history of some of these days that is simply in the historical record for us to look at. The history of mankind isn't a pretty one always. It's, it's what we see now today in a simple little Valentine's Day celebration or nice little New Year's Day celebrations or the familiness of Christmas or a little bit of fun at Halloween really is rooted in a lot of stuff that God wants us not to be part of. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. And again, the decisions aren't always easy ones. But when we commit to being a follower of God, when we commit to this covenant, we commit all the way. Verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. When we follow God, blessings abound. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, he pleads, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life, he is your length of days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord your God swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. When you're not sure what to do, seek the advice of family, as Becca and Daniel did in that conversation downstairs. Do some research. Go to your Bible. Then choose. If you do so prayerfully, with a desire to follow God, having read all that you can on the subject, talked with trusted members of the family, pray to God, he will guide you to the right decision. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.